the Bible gives us some very specific directions on, on how God wants us to give, when He wants us to give, uh, how much He wants us to give. And we began a couple of weeks ago uh, by discussing the appropriate motivations uh, for giving. And uh, while uh, you are turning in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I would appreciate it greatly if someone could find me a box of Kleenexes. Uh, that would be great. I know that's disgusting, but would, if you could do that, that would be wonderful. Uh, we talked about the motivations for giving and um, how we can just be full of joy uh, when we are generous, right? And just how good it can make you feel knowing that we have been generous and we've partnered with something that we know is is bigger than us. Uh, it's something much greater than any of us could do in and of ourselves. Uh, and so what I want to do is, is take this idea of being generous and how good it is to give and, and, and kind of maybe answer some of your questions and say, okay, that's great, but but how do I do that? How much should I give? When is it appropriate? When is it not appropriate? You know, who should I give to first? All that kind of stuff. So we all, is there a, is COVID got the Kleenex industry too? Is it just, is that, all right, thank you. Daryl, you are the man. Nick, thanks for trying. Uh, Kendall, see you later. All right, very good. Nice. Thank you so much. Golly. That's disgusting. I am so sorry. Uh, but anyway, um, here's what I want to do. I want to discuss a, a practical plan for um, forgiving, right? Uh, because I know a lot of us maybe struggle in this area. Is, is it, so, so I want to maybe give you something practical that you can take with you to, as we move forward uh, in this area, okay? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And don't, uh, let's see, let me back up. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift to wonderful for words. And so God is telling us in this passage of scripture how he wants us to give generously, how he wants us to give cheerfully, and if we do this, he makes us eight promises uh, if if we decide to do this, if we decide to trust him. 
right? Promise number one, you're going to have a generous crop. Promise number two, you're going to have all that you need. Number three, you'll have enough to share with others. You will, uh, number four, increase your resources. Number five, enlarge the harvest of your generosity. Number six, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can continue to be generous. Number seven, men will praise God for your obedience and your generosity. Promise number eight, in their prayers for you, men's hearts will go out to you. And so here's what I think God is saying to you, what he's saying to me today, if you give generously and you give cheerfully, all of these promises are yours. Again, this might sound like a prosperity gospel kind of, of sermon that you might see on, on, on TV, uh, and, and it is prosperity driven if that's your motivation. If your motivation is so that you can receive all of these blessings and you're only giving so that you can be blessed, then, then that's not the right attitude. God knows your heart. He knows your motive. And you're not going to be blessed if you do that. So don't give just so you can receive. You give because you love the Lord. And that's just who you are. Remember last week we talked about, that, that, that or a couple of weeks ago, that, that it's an act of worship. It's just who we are. But the promises that God has given to us, they're byproducts of our generosity. It shouldn't be the main motive for giving, but if we do give, these are things that God says you will receive. So what I want to do is I want us to learn to give in a practical way with the right motive so that we can give not only the way that God wants us to, but we can also give with the right motive and we can have these simple steps in place so that we don't have these questions coming up every week. What do I do? How should I do it? How much? You know? Step number one, here's what I think we need to do first. I think we need to think like a godly servant. Luke chapter 16, verse 13, it says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, the underlying principle here is this, is that you're either going to place your trust in God, or you're going to Place your trust in your finances and the world's way of dealing with it. And so the alternative to trusting in money is trusting in God to teach us the proper way to understand the value of our money. So here's the first thing that I think we need to do in doing that. And we need to understand God's ownership. We need to come to the conclusion that it's not mine, that God owns everything. When I become a Christian, when I confess Jesus as the Christ, when I'm baptized into him and I make him the Lord of my life, it means that I am voluntarily surrendering myself as a slave to Jesus Christ. He's my master, I am his servant. In other words, I am placing myself under his ownership. I'm not in control of it anymore. He owns my physical life. He owns my spiritual life. He owns me when I'm working. He owns me when I'm relaxing. He owns me when I'm laughing. He owns me when I'm crying. He owns me and he owns all of the things that I own, right? You say, well, what, what exactly does that mean? Okay, it might mean your name is on the mortgage at the bank, or your name is on the title of the car, on your statement at the bank, or it might even be on the inside of your wallet, but Jesus Christ's name needs to be all over all of those things. And so my commitment is this. We, we have this understanding that everything I have is just given to, it's on loan to us by God. Even our children, 
everything that we have. We, we don't own any of it. We're just, it's just on, on loan. He's giving me these things to use for a while, or he has entrusted these things to me for a while, but I ultimately know that I don't own anything. It's all his because he's the one that gave it to us in the first place. Acts chapter 17, verse 25, human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. And some people have the attitude, say, well, you, you don't understand. I worked hard for that stuff. I went to college, and I got a, a degree, and, and, and I got this good job, and I've worked hard, and, and, and I've put in the time, and I've earned this. Who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the health? Who gave you the opportunities to go to college? Who put the right people in the right place at the right time to get you in the position that you're in right now? Who allowed you to even come into this world in the first place? See, I think we lose track of the sight that, that we are, we're God's. We're His. Everything about us. Everything that we have, we're, we're his. First Timothy 6, 7. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can take nothing with us when we leave it. There's not one thing in this life that you or I brought into existence. You ever stop and think about that? Not one thing. There's, there's not one thing that we can honestly claim wouldn't be here if it wasn't for us. It's all his. But we have this tendency to think that it's all ours. And we often put too high of a value on it. Reminds me of a young man who had an accident while he's driving his car. And the accident was quite spectacular. Policeman arrived. He found the young man standing near his car. And he was mumbling. The car was all mangled up. He's mumbling something under his breath. And the officer is approaching him. And as he's approaching, he can hear the young man saying, Oh, my BMW. Oh, my BMW. Oh, my BMW. And he looked at the man and he said, Are you kidding me? Are you nuts? Look at the condition of your arm. Your left arm is completely mangled. And he looked down and he goes, oh, my Rolex, oh, my Rolex, oh, my Rolex. Do you know someone like that? They're so caught up in things that they miss everything that's going on around them. I, I hope you're not like that. I hope that you can see that, that, that God is in control of, of everything and he owns everything and we shouldn't place too high of a value on, on stuff because it's all going to burn up. We can't take any, we brought nothing in, we're going to take nothing out with us. In the Old Testament, all the people of Israel, right? They had given money for building the temple and David prayed, First Chronicles 29, 14, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we, we have has come from you and we give you only what you first gave us. Everything we have in this life has been loaned to us by God, And the sooner we accept that fact, the sooner God will begin to bless our lives in a magnificent way. And we need to value God's partnership. We need to understand that God is allowing us to come alongside of him and partner with him. And once I've accepted the fact that he owns everything, and, 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 and then we need to come under quickly, we need to come under the conviction that God needs to play a major role in my financial decisions. Right? 
I want you to imagine, I want you to suppose for just a moment that you're the CEO of a publicly owned company. You're responsible for every, or you're responsible to every single shareholder for the decisions that you make. Every person has a, that has invested in your company has a stake in the choices that you make on a day-to-day basis. Whether they're good choices or bad choices, they affect everyone who has a, a share in what's happening. And those decisions will have an effect of some kind on all of the investors. As the CEO of the company, you want to make wise choices because your job is to bring success to the shareholders, right? You've partnered with them, they've invested in your company, and you are expected to make the right decisions with the money that they have invested. And if you don't make the right decisions, you're probably, well, you're not going to last long. You're not going to like the outcome, right? It's not going to end well. It's certainly not going to end well for the investors. Probably not going to end well for you. But as a Christian, I realize that God has invested in me with his own son. He has invested in me with the blood of his own son in an incredible way. And everything that I possess is, in reality, his. And he is expecting me to use the resources that he's entrusted to me with wisdom to bring him honor and to bring him glory. And so when I'm making financial decisions, my first question should be, what does God think about the way that I'm going to use his money. How does he feel about this? Right? Since it's his in the first place, don't you think that he definitely should have a say in what you do with it, in the way that it's used? These are the kinds of questions that I think I need to be asking myself. These are the questions I think you need to be asking yourself. Will the financial decision I make today be destructive to my family later on? Would God approve of me investing money in this particular enterprise. If I go into debt on this purchase, will it force me to give less to God's work? Is the amount of money that I'm putting in the little black box in the back the same amount that God would put in if I handed him my wallet? In other words, make sure that God is the first person you think of before making any type of major, even minor, financial decisions. Not the last. Step number two, act like a trusted manager. Act like a trusted manager. One time at a wedding rehearsal, the groom approached the preacher with an unusual offer. The groom said, look, I'll give you $100 if you'll change the wedding vows. When you get to me and the promise where I'm supposed to love and honor and forsake all others, be faithful to her as long as I live, all that, I'd appreciate it if you just kind of leave that part out. He passed the minister a $100 bill. The day of the wedding, the bride and groom have moved to that part of the ceremony where the vows are exchanged. It comes time for the groom's vows. The preacher looks the young man in the eye and he says, Will you promise to lay prostrate before your bride every single day, obey her every command and wish, serve her breakfast in bed every morning of your life, swear eternally before God and your lovely wife that you will not, own, not even look at another woman so long as you both shall live? And the groom gulped and said, Yes. Right? The, green, the, the, the groom leaned in toward the preacher and said, I thought we had a deal. And the preacher said, oh, we did, but she made me a better offer. Right? Now, 
this sounds like people I know, right? They're always looking for something better. They're always looking for a, for a, for a better offer. They're always looking for the next thing to come along. And, 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 and they can't be trusted with what God has entrusted to them. And as a Christian, I think God wants to be able to trust us with what he's given to us. And so sometimes, have you ever done this? I know I've done this. We've sit back and we've, we've said, why doesn't God bless me with, with more money? Why doesn't he give me more income? Why does this seem like somebody over here seems to get blessing after blessing after blessing, and I can't seem to get a break? Not 100% of the time, but I think a fair question to ask ourselves is, can God trust you with what he gives to you? Can he trust you? How do we gain God's trust? Well, I earn it with my heart. I earn God's trust with my heart. Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. It's obvious that God looks at what we do with our money in a spiritual context, right? I can look at my bank statement. I can look at my checkbook register. And I can discover whether God can trust me, basically, if God can trust my heart or not, just by looking at how I'm spending my money. Can God trust me to use the resources that he has given me in a way that is pleasing to him? If I look at the way that I've been spending money and I realize that I've not been using those resources in a trustworthy manner, I think the solution is simple. We need to change our spending habits. Well, how do I do that? Again, before every financial decision, ask, would God be pleased with what I'm doing? You know, I think if there's any hesitancy at all, don't do it. Now, understand this. This in no way means that you can never spend money on yourself, right? This in no way implies that you can't use money for your enjoyment. It means that, that we need to learn to live our financial lives with a God honoring balance, okay? And when I do that, when I start to trust God and I start to balance things out a little more the way God wants to, He's going to trust us even more. And, and, and I do that by also managing God's money with God's plan. He's given us a very clear-cut plan. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and try to collect it all at once. What's he saying? Say, right, here's the plan. By giving regularly. It says here, on the first day of every week, that answers the when. When should I give? On the first day of every week. That was the example in the New Testament. When the church meets, they took up the offering. That's when it happened. Now, I understand some of you get paid by the month. Some of you get paid bi-monthly. I know some... Some farmers, they don't even get paid, right? Sometimes, you know, they're going, and they, or maybe they get paid annually, and they have to budget their money in that way. But, but do it in a way that is regular. You give regularly. It's not necessarily it has to be every Sunday, but it needs to be some regular way that, that you are accountable to God for giving to Him. You give it on a regular basis. And you do it by giving personally, each one of you, right? Nobody's off the hook. Every single one of us, each one of you, we're responsible for contributing to God's work. 
right? Just like no one should be left out of serving in the church by using their spiritual gifts, no one is left out of the responsibility and the blessing of giving to the work of the church. And you give systematically. Each one of you should set aside a portion of money. Here's a clear instruction for planned giving. I remember when I was very young in my faith, and I'm sure some of you have been here too. Maybe some of you are here right now. I usually made my decision as to what amount of money I would give moments before the offering plate was passed. I mean, it would be right down to the point where the deacons would come up to the front of the church carrying the offering plates, and they're praying when I open up my wallet and I look to see what I've got in my wallet. And there would be some Sundays when I'd have absolutely nothing in my wallet, and I couldn't contribute. There was one Sunday, I remember I was about 18, 19 years old. I opened up my wallet and I had three 20s in there. And I'm like, again, I'm 18, 19 years old, so that was years ago. And and, and $20 went a lot farther than it did. I could drive my 78 Pinto for a month on $20 worth of gas back then, right? And and so I'm looking at at this and I'm like, God, really? 20, 20 whole dollars? You know? And I hadn't thought about what I was going to give before I get there. And I'm forced, you know, the offering plate's coming and I'm starting to get a little, you know, I'm starting to feel a little anxiety. Do I put it in? Do I not put it in? I'm not even going to tell you what I did. You can leave that. You can assume what I did. Okay. You just make that. But, but don't we do that sometimes? Right. There is wisdom involved and it's necessary for us to have this wisdom. There is wisdom involved when we plan to give ahead of time. Right. It helps us to, to to think about what we're doing, how we want to bless God. It helps us to take the time to really reflect on God and what He expects of us. And then we also give proportionately. In keeping with His income. Now some people are religious tithers. Bless your heart. That is awesome. Some give more than that. Tithe literally means 10%. And so some people give at that 10% level. That's great. We need more of that. But the New Testament does not say thou shalt tithe. They tithe again. It's exactly 10%. And some are not there yet. Some are younger in the faith and they haven't grown to see that need to give that much yet. Again, some give beyond that. I think that issue is between you and God. I think we all should strive to get to at least the 10% level because that's an Old Testament principle. But I know that God has blessed us so much in the New Testament era that we ought to be able to want to give more than 10% because we're blessed even more than the Old Testament people were. But some give beyond that. I think that's great. But the principle is this. I give in direct proportion to the income that I have. Right? It doesn't mean that the less income I have, the less I will give. But you give proportionately with my income. That is a percentage. You decide in your heart. Again, don't let me twist your arm. Don't let me stand up here and guilt you into it. You give cheerfully. You pray about how God wants you to give. And you consistently do that. Now here's the third step. Feel like a precious heir. Feel like a precious heir. As we talk about giving to the Lord, it's easy for us to fall into the trap of viewing all this in a legalistic sense. We, we begin to look at giving simply as a duty that we must perform rather than an act of worship before God. 
We tend to have trouble associating the financial aspects of worship with the relational aspects of God being our loving Father. It's imperative that we understand that God gave His best for us. He didn't hold back anything. And He's teaching us as His precious children how to reflect His image by learning to give like He does. You see, our Father wants to train us, right? You dads, when you're, when you're raising your kids, don't you train them in a lot of specific areas because you want to see them do things the right way or you want to see them do things like you did things. And I think God is doing that with us. He wants to, he wants to see us do things like He does things. And since God owns everything and can make anything, it's obvious that He doesn't need our help doing all of the work He doesn't need our help with that, but being made in the image of God means that we need to learn to be as generous as He is. We give to God because He is training us to take on His generous nature. God clearly lays this out, this generosity training, 1 Timothy 6, 18 19. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need and always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. God is teaching us to be like Him. Our Father wants to provide for us as well. 1 Timothy 6.17, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. When, when we trust in God, He gives us what we need. He promises to take care of our needs. And here's what I've seen some people do. I've, I've, I've talked with people who have actually said these very words. When God meets my needs, then I'll trust Him. Do you understand God has met your greatest need before you even acknowledge that He exists? And God says, trust me, I'll meet your needs. All of them. Maybe not all of our wants. Maybe not as much as the next person. Notice that God isn't some cosmic killjoy either. He says that he will provide us with everything for our enjoyment. So here's our practical plan. Think like a godly servant. Act like a trusted manager. And feel like a precious heir. And as the worship team comes to lead us in a song, let me just add one more thing. Enjoy the great benefit of knowing that the more generous you become, the more you are becoming like the God that you worship. And isn't that the goal of every believer? To strive to be as much like Jesus as possible? And when we are giving and giving and giving, we are more like Jesus. What did He give? Everything. He gave His life. And He asks us to surrender our lives to His Lordship in return. Have you done that this morning? If not, we want to give you the opportunity to do so. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and 
We're going to sing a song, and if you have a need, we encourage you to come. Maybe it's a need to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe it's a need to confess Him as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Maybe there's sin in your life that you need to turn away from. Maybe you've never been baptized into Him for the washing away of your sins. Maybe you've never trusted God with your finances. Maybe you need to decide that this morning. Lord, I know, I know I've accepted you as my Savior, but I haven't turned everything over to Him. That's between you and Him. Maybe you commit to that today. I don't know. What is it that God's speaking to you about today? I just, I just pray that you're obedient, whatever it is. Let's pray together.